0: And I don't want to ever meet anybody less ever again. And I learned that in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't learn this stuff in seminary. I need to tell you that those folks in seminary need a lot of help.
1: <laughs> they need to
0: get a little faith is what they need to get. Yeah. Oh, how can one forgive the suicide of a family member who had this disease? Well, you've just answered it. They had a the disease. Of their right mind, they would have never done that. And it isn't about you. It's about their illness and their disease. I'm sorry for your loss. But to hate them does nothing but take away from their memory. And to hate them uh, is hating someone who's got a deadly disease. What good would that do? What good does it do? All it does is ruin your life today, one day at a time. So I would suggest to them close your eyes for a quick minute and uh, envision their face and just tell them that you understand and you're sorry that they made that choice and you love them and let them rest. That's what I'd suggest. All right. I would like to hear about forgiveness with acceptance. Excellent question. I hear from time to time. Well, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, then don't bother. I'm really, don't bother. Who are you kidding? Playing little word games, you know? Do you know how many times I've talked to my friend Sherman about the act of murdering my father? Just once, when I had some questions, and he answered it. It's none of my business anymore. It's just none of my business anymore. If I want to be accepted, I have to accept you. And that's tough, especially in this day and age. But it was tough when I walked through those doors. I was no piece of cake, I'll tell you. I came in those doors and I had long blonde hair and dark shades and a swastika around my neck. I don't know what it meant, but I sure knew it meant made people mad and that was enough for me. (laughs) And I had a look, had no look. And jeans on, leather boots. Hey man, what's happening? I <laughs> remember one day I walked in the meeting and somebody said, Hey Ed, how you feeling? I said, Fine. He said, Why don't you tell your face it don't know? <laughs> If you want to talk about forgiveness, in, uh, in, in, in our 12 and 12 is an excellent parameter. I can't find her. You sure highlight a lot in your book, Dick.
1: You're going to be quizzed
0: when I'm done, too. This is the St. Francis prayer. Page 99, thank you. It's in big print, so it's probably 112 on this one.
1: <laughs> now, if you're a mind
0: to, I'm not here to get you to do anything you want, but if you're a mind to, and if you've got something on your heart and your mind that you've been carrying way too long, I'm going to ask you just to sit here with me for a minute. Close your eyes, and I'm going to read this prayer. And if it's applicable to you, apply it in your life. If it's not, then don't. Let's take a minute and close our eyes. Lord, make us a channel of thy peace. Where there is hatred, we may bring love. Where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness that where there is discord I may bring harmony, where there is error I may bring truth. And where there is doubt I may bring faith, and where there is despair I may bring hope. That where there are shadows I may bring light, that where there is sadness I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood. To love than to be loved, for it is by self-forgetting that one finds, and it is by forgiving that one is forgiven, and it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. I'd like for those of us took care too, to care to to close with the Lord's Prayer.
1: Marvellous
2: I was just thinking, looking out over this crowd, if we all started drinking, we could have a one big time. Mm. This is also, you know, today, June the 10th, is the anniversary of AA period. So it would be 70 years old today. I don't know why we can't clip this thing on. That's much better. They gave me a few minutes and if I go over they go I got a big hook. They're
1: gonna
2: <laughs> Told me I couldn't ad lib. So I, I can't talk, I can't ad lib, you know. I mean? so, and uh, usually we've had this done before by a professional every year. <laughs> <It's Avery. laughs> so you have an amateur here. But in June of 1941, uh, I'm going to hold this because this is what I'm going to read from. And I'm not going to read it at all. Can't do it in ten minutes. But an army officer named Steve Morris came to Atlanta from Washington, D.C. And uh, he was looking for somebody that, that needed... You need another alcoholic to talk to them. So he put an ad in the paper. Post office box 1215. And we still have that same post office. 1215. Kind of a miracle. And then a former minister, Sam Daltry, an alcoholic, he answered the ad. And then he went to the post office and wanted to see who it was that picked up the mail. Uh, they finally started talking, and each of them knew another alcoholic, and, uh, and they got together. Four of them got together and started, and, and had their first little meeting in the basement of his home in Buckhead. Then they gradually added some folks, and uh, of course, the war started in 1942. And uh, so, a lot of folks were going to war, but they still they had a meeting place down there on Broad Street. Uh, started off small, of course. I think they were, back in those days, they were, had big dreams of having a clubhouse, and you're going to have a recovery center, on you're, you, you're going to put sober people up, and oh, you're going to... Teach them how to get sober and all this kind of stuff. have a restaurant, and, I mean it was going to be first class. <laughs> uh, we have unfortunately usually personalities getting away and those things never never work out. But anyhow, uh, in, in 1946, they opened up a place, and the reason I know about this personally because it was over a, a beer joint on North Avenue and Spring Street. Next door was the pool room. And upstairs, they had the meetings upstairs. I remember taking my father up there. And uh, he came back down the stairs and went into the beer parlor. and got drunk as a rodeo goat. (laughs) I ended up carrying him home. I said, what about that place upstairs there? Say, that's AA. That's the first time I'd heard it. He said, oh, those people. No, uh, that's not for me. Know me. Uh, he died uh, in Millersville uh, later uh, as a result of alcoholism. But uh, they started there, uh, and as in any place, seemed like you always have a dissension about getting bigger or wanting to move out. Other groups wanting to, to do it a little bit different. Uh, then they had to leave. So they went to the YMCA, uh, got a place there. They also got some good uh, publicity from the newspaper. We had a, Constitution had some, I know uh, one, the editor there, he uh, he was a big wheel to, to help out there. He was going to try. They were trying to get him some money, I think, back then. <laughs> I think, like Bill, one time, he figured he was going to sell a million big books. Of course, he was going to make a little money on you know, putting his pocket, I think. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that didn't happen. <laughs> but anyway, uh, as they they started, that's, they decided that AA was a, a non-energy, so you can't go you can't, own property or anything, and so the central office was what was called at that time Adeland or Atlanta Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I know when I first went there in 66, they had the office in Atalan uh, it was explained to me uh, so that they could have uh, money, take in money, so, the Adelaide Society was for them. Then they, they did, move uh, moved in 47 to, to another uh, place. And they finally got them a club room over on West Peace Street. Then that's when they, I think, had a big dream. So 522 West Peace Street. That club, they had, uh, they could have seating capacity of 400. The club room was nicely arranged. Listen to this. New furniture. I don't know who was furnishing all his money. Snack bar. A kitchen where regular meals were served. petition separated the kitchen from the lounge, which was comfortably furnished. <laughs> uh, and Sam, a daughter of the preacher, who was, had come today delivered the first A message at the, at the meeting. Uh... A lot of the groups were starting. Uh, You don't really have time to go into all of the the groups when they did start. I know my group, Jim City, started in 46. Where four guys got together with a six-pack to talk about not drinking. (laughs) They didn't know you weren't supposed to drink. (laughs)
1: They
2: later found that out. Three of them dropped out. I mean, you know. But well, anyway, it, the, the fellowship has grown so much uh, that we really don't have time to read this whole thing. Uh, I'll give you a, a quickly that when I first came, almost next month will be 39 years, and uh, we had 48 meetings in Metro, 48 meetings. And uh, you had to, and none of this 90 meetings in 90 days, my answer, you, unless you went out of town somewhere. Uh, in any rate, that, uh, now we have 1,400 and something. So if you get a resentment at this meeting, you just go down the street and no not know. So we're very fortunate in this area that we have so many meetings uh, to go to. Uh, and all because these guys that first started... And I'm sure they had no idea it was going to be as great as it was. Just like Bill and Dr. Bob, they didn't know 70 years ago that AA is going to be what it is today. And uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Thanks, Speedy. Okay. Before I introduce the outgoing and incoming new steering committee members, I think that I've walked around the room today and tonight, and I've heard nothing but positive things about the experience here thus far, that the dinner was delicious, the parking was not so bad, and that uh, things were handled very efficiently. And so I don't know if Al is in the room, but if we could give him a round of applause.
3: I was lucky enough to meet our speaker about eight or ten years ago. Uh, It was at in the parking lot of my home group, where they're next to the, or it was the Trinity Lutheran Church next to the post office. On that, the car drove up, wheelchair came out of the uh, car, and you know we're we're taught to help anybody who looks like they need help. So I walk over and I say, "Hey, how can I help you?" He took one look at me and said, get out of the way, I'm going to do this. (laughs) That was my introduction to Harry. (laughs) Uh, That, as I say, was about eight or ten years ago, and he hasn't changed a bit. (laughs) Harry's got 29 years of sobriety, and I don't think he looks like he's that old. (laughs) He was a teenager when he first got sober. His home group is the another chance group. And I've learned to listen when Harry talks on that. I've heard him share uh, numbers, usually at least once or twice a month. I've heard him tell his story, and I'm really anticipating listening to him talk tonight. I've been looking forward to it now for almost a month. I give you
1: Harry. run around with it on. Well, that's fine. Well then you do whatever vote, <laughs> okay?
4: All right. I might move around a little bit. So I might even fall off the t- off the off the platform. <laughs> so I'll have to keep talking while that happens. So if you say anything strange, just you know, don't worry about it. Okay, I'll, I'll keep going. My, my name is Harriet, I'm an alcoholic. Hello everybody. Wow. What a good looking bunch, man. Let me take a look at y'all. God, am Bunch, sober bunch? Miracles. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. A little louder? Okay. Can you turn it up just a little bit more? Or? Okay. And I do this for a living. So, I can't turn it up. I'm sorry about that. Well, my name is Harry. I'm an alcoholic. Like I said. And... uh I'll a little bit about myself, what it was like, my experience. I uh, was born in uh, Ballabasca, Georgia. Uh, My father was in the service at the time. And then uh, we moved to New York. Uh, I grew up in New York. My father is an alcoholic. He's a member of this program, so I'm not taking his inventory. And you probably can't see me on this side, so maybe I'll move around a little bit. Does that look better?
1: Right.
4: I'd sing a little song, but I'm not in that mood right now. The piano's covered up; it's out of my reach. Uh, but uh, so I grew up in New York. My father's in the program, and I have two brothers that are in the program. And uh, so my first drink was at the age of 14 years old. And I can tell you, and I can tell you exactly where I was when I had my first drink. Now I knew really nothing about it except for how my father was when he was drinking, and my father was a very violent drunk when he drank, and uh, I've always said that I was not going to end up that way, that I was not going to be end up that way because it was it was it was horrible growing up as a child. And I have to tell you. Uh, so my parents uh, and I love my father very dearly today. He's a great man. Uh, my parents went away, and they left me to take care of my two brothers. And uh, there was, uh, we had a basement, and in the basement, we had, my father was uh, involved with the grocery store, so we had, like, tons and tons of cases of beer. When you manage a store you own a store, they, they want their stuff right up front, so they're very willing to give you a keg or five cases of Bex or Schaefer or whatever, you know, at that point, Budweiser. So when they left... As we are going down the staircase, my father had a, like scotch and whiskey and I don't remember what it was exactly. But I thought, you know, I want to try this out. Find out what this is all about. And I took the cap off and I started drinking and that warm sensation hit me. And it started going down. I could feel it going down. Um, and I thought, whoa. This is something that I have never experienced before. And... Uh, I thought Jesus I hated the taste I just did not like the taste but I liked the effect that warm glow that sense of, of that uh, something was happening and I really 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 liked it and I'll tell you nothing else has ever done that to me I mean I've, I've, I've you know bread has never done that to me you know what I'm saying you know what I mean you know, if the doctor said to me you know, you know maybe you should leave the bread alone I'd say sure why not you know what I mean when it comes to alcohol, you know, I start questioning. What do you mean I need to stop, you know, drinking? You know, you got to be kidding me, you know. So my first experience with alcohol, I drank until I blacked out, actually. Uh, I didn't stop until I was in a blackout. The, uh, there was a party, actually, up the street. And uh, we went up the street and had the party. And then it ended up in my house. And uh, I woke up the next morning and my parents came home. And, I mean, it was... Beer and all the ashtrays and it ended up in my house and that was a Dr. just Jekyll Mr. Hyde one man was a nice guy the next man was a maniac and I blacked out and I woke up and uh, uh, and I'd gotten in trouble I mean they they got in the house and they stole stuff I mean it's just teenage stuff you know what I mean but you would think at that point that I would get the message you know what I mean that uh, you know don't do this because there's trouble but I didn't get that message I didn't tie in that alcohol was the problem with that see I thought I just did something wrong, you know, it didn't tie it all to alcohol. So from the age of 14 to 19 years old, I, I, I drank. You know, everybody I associated with drank like I did. I didn't, drink, I didn't hang around with anybody who did not drink like me. I was uh, lucky enough to grow a mass, mustache, mustache, mustache <laughs> at the age of 16 years old. So, I mean, uh, and bartenders probably new. I mean, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York, you know. You know, small towns, and uh, they probably knew I was not of age, but they let me go in anyway and drink and and hang out. So, my my high school years, you know, I didn't, you know, it was unfortunate. I didn't play football, and I didn't play basketball in school. You know what I mean? Uh, I hung out in the bars. Uh, I also played. I was a musician. So, I hung out with play musicians and, uh a lot of them were older than me, you know. What I mean, and they introduced me to marijuana, and you know, uh, the rest of the stuff that goes on with being a musician and playing. So I was a kid, I played bass guitar. I was pretty good at it. And uh, a lot of these guys were older than I am, you know, five, six years older than me. Uh, so I got involved with them and started playing. Uh, so, you know, my experience with school was very limited as far as sports and that and all that. You know, but I did get to high school and I did, I did graduate. I don't know how in the world I did, but I did. Um, so my experience with alcohol is this lack of control first drink could not stop totally out of control I was definitely powerless over alcohol I did not know what was going to happen when I started drinking I did not know where I was going to end up uh, and, and I was whacking out at, at that time I would wake up in New York City which is two hours away from where I was and uh, uh at a McDonald's and I would and I'd wake up I simply because I hit my head on the wall of McDonald's and I'd wake up and I'd be with friends and they would I would say "Where am I?" they'd say, "You're in McDonald's in New York City?" and I would go okay and I'd get a little bite to eat and then I'd be out again uh, so that's my experience without with alcohol i you know I've got in a little trouble you know usual stuff you know barroom fights you know the typical you know uh my last experience last week, I had a couple of guys that just came back from the service. This was 74, and uh, we had gone out and started drinking. Uh, I do remember at the age of 16 years old, sitting, uh, sitting in a bar and uh, shaking my first drink. Uh, and that's something I had never experienced before. When I started drinking, I started shaking before I started putting it down. And I do remember at that time uh, when I was with my, my friends that uh, I would literally had drank myself to be normal again. Three days of staying up, I used alcohol to get me to a bad state of just feeling normal. Uh, and uh, so my buddies came in from town and we started going out drinking. And we started bar hopping and uh, I knew I was going to get in trouble because of, you know, I mean, you always, when you're drinking, you got an attitude. You know, bulletproof. I was 60 feet tall, bulletproof, and some guys looking at my best friend's girlfriend and I didn't like that before, you know, it was just a fight and, It ends up outside. You know, he ends up back in the club through the glass window. You know, the cops show up. And fortunately for us, we headed out. You could hide. Back then, there was no computers. You know, a lot of small towns. You know, you'd be in one town you head out and go to another town, you know. And, uh, we went to this one club and I walked up to the, uh, the guy who was at the, the, uh, you know, letting us in and said, let me see your ID. And, uh, I said, sure, and I pulled out a $20 bill. I I had no idea what he was saying to me. I was just handing him money, you know what I mean? And he said, and I did hear this. He said, you don't look like the guy in a $20 bill. And that pissed me off. You know what I mean? I mean, that pissed me off. So, he has to say, we're in it with this guy, and uh, the cops show up. We had just left another bar, you know, with the other other situation. Cops show up, and uh, they start taking me off, dragging me away. And uh, as they were dragging me, dragging me away, my two guys my two friends said, you know, started getting into it with the cops. You know, you can't do this. We're on, you know, we're, he's our friend and blah, 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 blah. So they said, okay, we're going to let him go. And we're going to take you two guys. So they let me go. And, I, and I, I thought, Jesus, what's going on here? So I said to one of the cops, you know, can I talk to you for a second? And I put my arm around this cop. And I don't know how I got my arm around this cop. But I got my arm around this cop, and I said, I said this to him. I said this to him. Hey, you know, God looks out for us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, He really does. You know? <laughs> because I should have been on the ground. And I said to him very simply, I said, Look, I said, I will make sure that we go home. Just let us go. We will go straight home, I promise you. And he looked at me, and he started laughing. <laughs> you know what I mean? He started laughing. And, uh, Thank God we have people that were not drinking. We had some ladies with us. And the cops said, you all going to take them home, drive them, get them out of here. And uh, that was my experience with the cops. So my point is this. Never been in jail because of drinking. Uh, definitely was getting in trouble. I never had a DUI. I uh, never had problems with, quote, unquote, family members. All those things that you would say, maybe he's not an alcoholic. I was definitely heading there. Continued drinking. My encounter with the police. I was definitely going to end up in jail. There was no doubt about it. And I knew that my drinking... There was something wrong with my drinking. See, because my father was leaving stuff laying around the house. You know what I'm saying? These 12 questions or 24 questions. You know what I'm saying? Like the big book. Just laying around. You know, I had hair down here. Real long hair. I was playing in bands. And I thought... I'm going to look at one of these pamphlets. I, I know I'm not an alcoholic. And as I kind of going down the list, I think I said just about yes to everyone except not killing somebody or divorcing your wife. Or, and I thought, ooh, you know, I'm definitely a candidate for the program. You know what I mean? And I really knew. I knew at the age of 16. I knew there was something wrong with my drinking. It didn't take a rocket science to figure it out. When you're blacking out like that, that's not normal behavior. You know what I mean? I've never done that on a milkshake. You know what I mean? blacking out somewhere and going, holy Christ. And so I knew deep in my heart there was something wrong with this. I knew there was something wrong. I did not know it was a disease. I did not know that not everybody drank like that. I thought when you drank, everybody did the same thing. They blacked out. They got in trouble. I thought everybody. I didn't realize that, I had, that when other people drink, they can leave it alone. Uh, so, this to say, I uh, came home, I never forget this, it was on a Thursday afternoon, and uh, I had one of my legs, I tore one of my legs up getting a brawl out in the parking lot. And uh, I came home and I thought, this is it, man, I, I gotta stop. Uh, and I had that complete surrender. I just knew something had to change, something had to give. And uh, I came home to my father, and uh, I said to my father, um, I gotta stop drinking, gotta do something about this. So I went to my first meeting, and it was in, uh, East Patterson, New Jersey, and it was a podium style meeting where you came up, you came up to the podium and you shared and then you sat down. And I will tell you something, when I walked into the, into that room, I knew, I knew without a doubt, uh, that that's where I needed to be. Uh, I'm not going so far back. Excellent. Uh, you know that's where I needed to be. I, I knew that uh, the jig was up for me. That uh, there was something wrong with this, and I needed to do something about it. So I went to my first AA meeting, and uh, they brought uh, they had two people, young people, come and bring me to my first meeting. Uh, it was a 14 year old girl, and a young guy. I had nine, I was 19 years old at the time. 1975 is when I sobered up, and I uh, went to my first AA meeting. And, you know, I've said this many times, you know, your body, you know, I thought the 14 year old was a heroin addict or something. Because how could she be in the program at the age of 14? It didn't, it didn't register to me, you know what I mean? Uh, so I went to my first meeting, and uh, I'm going to tell you something about, and I said this, you know, AA back in 1975 in New York was just a little different. A little different. Told me to go 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, Told me to take the cotton out of my ears and shove it in my mouth. Told me to get a sponsor. Uh, I picked a guy within two weeks. Uh, You know, they didn't mess around up there. I mean, they they took you to meetings. They would not let me drive. My sponsor took me to meetings. Uh, And uh, the only time I could speak was in a beginner's meeting. You know, I mean, that was it. Uh, And, uh, you know, they would take me off to, uh, and there was no holding hands during the Lord's Prayer. We didn't hold hands. You know? You looked at the guy next to me and went, I don't know if I want to hold his hand. You know what I mean? I mean, he looked like a rough dude. I mean, the area that I came in was a lot of cops. You know, and uh, some of me, the had earrings in there. Like, you know, it's like they chew your head off. It. Hey, can I hold your hand during the Lord's Prayer? You know what I mean? I, you know, it was just a little bit different. And you didn't shake either. You didn't do any of that. And that was confusing for me for a while. Because what do you say? What, do you, what was it now? You don't drink and you won't uh, get drunk or something like that. No, this guy was we saying... One day at a time. And I'm going, okay, it's a little confusing. You know, we need to kind of get this together here. You know. Uh, So, there's been a lot of changes that I've seen. Uh, A lot of changes. Uh, And I've had to change with it. You know what I mean? I've had to change with it. Uh, Because uh, I love this fellowship. Uh, So, I went 90 meetings in 90 days. And I had a very, very, very good friend of mine named Tom Carley that came in. I can say his name now because he passed away. Um, who came in the program, and he was the one that drove me home. And he was, my, one of my, he was my drinking buddy. Him and this other guy named Dennis Quist. He said to me, Harry, if you're an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. Nine months later, he comes in the program. And uh, Tom Carley was a trip, man. I've got to tell you something. Tom, Tom just couldn't get it when it came to... I think he was the first one, and I've said this in meetings, that was raise your hand. You don't raise your hand back in 75. You did not raise your hand and volunteer. Because they would take your arm off if you did it. You know what I'm saying? I think he's the one that started that. So, uh, and the first time I ever spoke, and God bless those guys. You know, they saved my life. Uh, Those guys saved my life. I would say, what is it about that third step? step? You know, we made the decision that the Lord God... It would, it would, I would choke on it when I, when I would hear that word God. I just couldn't take it. And in the big book, and in an A Comes of Age, it described me to the teeth. Defiant individuality does not brook any man or any God. And that's where I was at. I was defiant. I didn't want to believe in a God. And I turned my back on God. I didn't like cops. I didn't like authority. I didn't like you. I didn't like myself. You know what I mean? And I thought I was terminally unique. If you don't understand. I'm 19 years old. I don't need to be here. You don't understand. You know what I mean? And I found out through listening to you people that I was not unique. That I was an alcoholic. And there was no difference. No difference for me than you. Maybe you came in a little bit different time. Your experience was a little bit different. But when you drank and I drank, it changed us. And it changed me. Uh, so Tom came in and uh, God bless Tom. He... Uh, he kept pushing those folks up there. You know what I mean? You know, and I had my sponsor, and Tom. Uh, and I know this is my story, but Tom was very much part of my story up there. Tom, one time they uh, they just decided my sponsor, my sponsor sat on his side, and my father was his sponsor. And he sat on this side, and every time Tom would go to raise his hand, he pulled the hand down. You know what I mean? Every time Tom would raise his hand, they pulled the hand down. They just would not let him share by raising his hand. And when that came in, the only thing they would do was read the preamble. We didn't read how it works. We didn't have the promises. We didn't read the promises. We didn't read the traditions. It was preamble, serenity prayer, into the meeting. And that's the way it was. There was no chips. Uh, You got a 90 day pin. You got 90 days. or if you had a year, they'd either give you a cup or, or a lighter for a year and that was it you know what I mean and they patted you on the back and said okay kid what do you want from us another year you know you stayed sober alright so that's what it was in New York and uh, one year after being sober and you know, I uh, decided I was going to move down to Georgia uh, I got tired of the cold weather you know what I mean I, mean, I just got tired of the cold weather I thought I got to get out of here this, this, is, this cold weather is driving me nuts uh, so I came down to Georgia In 1976. Now I'll say to you, I still had a problem with the word God. And my sponsors used to say to me, Guy, kid, just take it easy, man. Just use the word G-O-D. Good orderly direction. Don't drink. Go to meetings. One day at a time. Don't take yourself so darn serious. It's going to be okay. I said, what about that word God? He said, kid, good orderly direction. Don't drink. Take the cotton out of yours up in your mouth listen learn the art of listening you know what I mean learn the art of listening because if you run in your mouth you're not listening you're not hearing so so in uh, 76 I moved out of uh, New York it was in November and I came down to Georgia and I've been here ever since and Georgia's been a great state for me I love Georgia uh, and it's been a while since I've been over here to and uh, you know the second step I knew I was crazy Came to believe that a power of greatness up through the source of sanity, I knew I was nuts. You know what I mean? I knew I was crazy when it came to alcohol. There was no doubt in my mind. Uh, and I don't know when the change came with me with this God, this concept of a God. I don't know when that happened for me. But I was watching you people like a hawk. I was watching the ones that were speaking the word God and looking in your eyes and, be, and seeing if they really meant it. I knew you people had something that I needed. Because I could see it in your faces. I could see it in your eyes. You had something that I wanted. I couldn't quite sure what it was. Couldn't put my finger on it. But I knew that if I hung around, I would find out. And come to find out that it is God. It's a spiritual way of life. Spiritual way of life second to none. And I had no clue. I thought the only thing I had was a drinking problem and come to find out I also had a thinking problem and I was powerless and I needed to plug into a new source of power and initially you people were my source of power. I, I only seen God through you and I did not know what it was initially uh, and at some point it happened for me and thank God for the loving fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. You kept smiling at me and saying kid don't take yourself so serious." Don't drink. Go to meetings. It's going to be okay. And and at some point it happens. And pain's a great motivator, too. Emotional pain's a great motivator. For me, it is. I don't know anybody about anything else. I didn't, I didn't apply any of those steps in my life until I was in the ring, man. I was like, Harry, if you don't do something about this, you're going to drink. And that's the way what it was with me with the four step. See, because I came in here at an early age, I didn't think I was much had much problems like you folks. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Because I was young. I didn't put in all the time in. And uh, come to find out, boy, I was a head case, man, when I, you know what I mean? After you get it out of your system. And uh, it took me, I, I met this guy named Bob B., and uh, I thought when I came in here, I'd have to stop playing music. And for the first year, I did. I, I don't think I needed to be playing bars. I knew I didn't need to be in bars playing. And I met this guy in a program named Bob B., and uh, we started playing, playing together, me and him. And I started doing a lot of traveling together, me and Bob, on the road, going to a lot of meetings. Uh, White Cross. Anybody here from White Cross, Georgia? White Cross, Georgia. Yeah. Had some great times in White Cross. Yeah. Been to the. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. White Cross. Yeah. All over Georgia, and I went to meetings. God darn it, because I needed it. In Columbus, Georgia great meetings in Columbus, Georgia. In Way Cross they used to come to watch me play and they used to call themselves the Skidding on Thin Ice Group. You know what I mean? Because you know we're sitting in a bar, you know, and they're sitting there, you know, but uh it's good bunch. I've met a lot of so many nice people. When I've traveled, I go into a town like in Florida Daytona and pull into a meeting, you know, find out where the A group was and go in and they just I'm an alcoholic, they'd bring me right into the group. You know what I mean? Just loving people. You know what I mean? Sarasota uh, you know, I, I, there was one point I was in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina and uh, I was having a tough time really tough time and I picked up the phone I called, I called central office and I said man I have got to talk to somebody and this guy got on the phone and he talked me down thank God for him I probably never will see him we probably don't know who he is he might be sitting here for all I know and I said man I'm going to drink I need to talk and this guy talked me down the old deal dime therapy call, pick up the phone. I needed to utilize that. Please, utilize that. It's a great instrument. Pick up the phone. You're going through something, pick it up. That's what I tell my people that I'm sponsoring. Call me. Uh, And I talked to this guy and he talked me down and I was able to get through it. So, I feel very blessed to be a member of this program. And I thought drinking was going to be the end of the world because, see, I I was young, 19. I had long hair. I was playing in bands. I thought, Christ, what am I going to do? Hang out with the old farts. You know what I mean? Talk about what? Metamucil. You know, you know stocks. You know, the children. You know, their houses. You know, what? You know I just couldn't see what I was going to do. You know what I mean? Uh, and what alcohol was taking away from me was my youth and I didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. And what this program had given me back to me is my life. It gave me back my 19, my teens, and my 20s. You know what I mean? In my 30s. And I'm going to tell you something. It's been one heck of a journey. Wide awake. Yeah, sometimes. Most of the times. No drinking. No drugs. I've had to deal with a lot about Harry O'Brien and how he relates to the world. And how Harry O'Brien relates to this power, this God. And I need you people. And I need this power. I need this spiritual power in my life. I cannot do it without you. And I cannot do it without this guy. I cannot do it. Some point I got some point I got into doing the fourth step. It was tough for me. I couldn't understand the fourth step for a long time. You know what I mean? Until pain was so tough. I was in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I got done with this gig and I thought, man, I have got to do something or I'm gonna pick up a drink. And it's amazing how easy the fourth step is, you know, at that point, you know what I mean? Picked up that big book and I started going through that fourth step and going, where was this before? You know what I mean? It's is so easy. You know what I mean? I got my, my pen out and my pen and I started writing. And uh, it's amazing when you write it down on a piece of paper and you look at it and you go, oh my God. This is, this is what's going on with you, Harry. You know what I mean? Hey, yay, yay. You know? You've got a lot of stuff going on there, kid. You know? And uh, so thank God for the steps. I'm starting to get tangled up. Uh, so, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's been a blessing for me. It's been, not been easy for me to take those steps, like I said. I did not want to take any of those steps until, I, like I said, I was in a lot of, lot of pain. And what those steps has taken me to has softened my heart. It's given love in my heart. It's given me a relationship with the God of my understanding. It's given me a relationship with you uh, because I had a massive ego when I got here. And with those 12 steps, I believe. This is just my opinion. You can take it or leave it. It cracked that massive ego that I had. And I started developing. It brings me to this power. It brings me into relationship with this God. It brings me into relationship with you. Uh, and hopefully, of being of service. Like so many of you are here. And what a miracle that is. Because I was so god darn self-centered. And can still be that way. And egotistical. And that we're all sitting here tonight on a Friday night, like Speedy said... And we're all miracles. All flat-out miracles. All flat-out miracles. And there's a lot of people in here I haven't seen in a long time. And uh, so I continue to take personal inventory. And, and I continue to meditate and I continue to pray. Because it's vital for me. Self-examination, meditation and prayer is vital for me. Conscious contact with this power is vital for me. I try when I wake up in the morning. I really have two choices. It's my opinion. I have a lousy day. I can have a good day. When I live under self-propulsion, like it says in the big book, in the third step, I'm headed for trouble. When I don't turn it over to God and start praying and meditating, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Whether there's hatred I may so love, whether there's darkness, light, whether there's sadness, joy, whether it's despair, hope. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, as to be understood, as to understand, as to love, as to love. For it is by giving that we receive. It is by forgiveness that we are forgiven. It is by dying to self that we are born to eternal life. And that's a powerful prayer, game. It's a powerful prayer. I want to be an instrument. And I know you want to be an instrument. 1983. I was coming for an AA meeting at how Place. I
1: was
4: about to help this guy on the side of the road. A lot about cars back then. But I had my car to help this guy. And uh said, Look, I need to jump. And uh, I said, Okay. And, I, and uh, he started jumping his car up. He got out of his car and he was putting gas in the carburetor, getting out, trying to start. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get out and help this guy. I got out to help, primed the carburetor. I said, look, don't start the car. You know the deal. Get away from the car, start the car. The car was not starting up. Got out of the car. We had a little conversation about the new carburetor. He had a new fuel pump. You know, maybe it's a condition system back to 74. This was 83. So he started carburetors and the old... I don't know why I have to say that, but anyway. So uh, I said, "Okay, a couple more times, and uh, if it don't go, you know, we'll just can not Okay. So he gets in the car, goes to start the car, pull my head out up the hood, didn't start. Tried it one more time. Started to try to start the car, car blew up, caught me on fire. Gas can blew up, caught me right square in the face opened my eyes and uh, I came out from underneath that hood so quick it would make your head spin. And I opened my eyes and all I could see was flames and uh, I tried to wipe it off with my, with, uh, with my hands and I knew I had gas on me. Anybody's had gas on you know that it doesn't stop burning until it's gone. I knew there was a creek. I did not know that that creek was an eight foot drop. I couldn't see where I was going. I knew it was there because I pulled up to it. And I dove in the creek. Uh, next thing I remember, I heard the concussion here, flames going out. I did get the water out, flame, uh, the flames out. The next thing I could see is my, my legs coming down in front of me. I landed on my back, thank God instead on my stomach. Uh, I see my legs coming down and I became numb, like somebody hit you ever, hit a, your hand with a hammer that numb feeling I had a numbness from here down my legs coming down I seen them could not feel them I just saw them coming down and I thought this is not good not good and I thought okay I can shake this off I was 28 years old I jogged every other day I was weight lifting didn't drink didn't smoke I thought I can get up I tried to get up I was not getting up as I was trying to get up, I noticed that my breath started losing my diaphragm muscles. Uh, and my breathing was becoming shorter. Uh, and I was bleeding. And at that point, when I tried to get up one more time, and I seen the gentleman stand up in the corner. I mean, he was freaked out. I don't blame him. Because one minute, I'm helping him, next minute, I'm like a flying torch. You know what I mean? And, uh, and he was just frozen. And... I realized I was not getting out of that hole. It was not going to happen. Um, At that point, at that point, I had a tremendous sense of peace come over me. Like somebody injected all of Lennox Mall in me. And you all have experienced this peace. And it says it in page 100 of the 12 and 12. You might spirit, you might experience a little bit of the kingdom of heaven. And at that point, that's exactly what I felt I was, I was experiencing. I felt a thickness. I felt like something had grabbed a hold of me. Tremendous peace. And I became very, very aware of the trees, very aware of how peaceful everything was. And I will tell you, right then and right there, I could have left and it would have not have bothered me. Not one iota. Because I sensed a great deal of love. And I also had this other thought that came to me and it said to me, Harry, you're going to learn more about yourself than you would have ever learned before. And I thought, that is the most craziest thought I have ever heard. I am laying in this ditch, not having a very good day, <laughs> and I'm getting this message. And I thought, can you give me somebody else? Hello, you know what I mean? something out there? And the craziest thing—you're gonna think I'm crazy—I all of a sudden got this sense of excitement, and I thought, Why? I have never experienced this this before. Uh, and I, the next thing I know, um, and I, my family—I started thinking about my family. How were they gonna
3: take it? Cause it's I knew I
4: was going to be
3: okay. Because I have shown so much
4: love. Do you understand? At that point. I was concerned about them. I hoped they were going to be okay, you know? for them not to worry, because I thought I was dying. I don't know how many times I tell that story. But that is, I, I start crying at the
1: time.
4: About that time, this guy jumps down the hall. He says, "What's your name?" So my name was Harry. She wants my Social Security number. So why do you want my Social Security number? No, okay. Oh, you try he try to keep me away.
1: Yeah.
4: Finally, at some point, the ambulance showed up. And uh, they pulled me out of that hole and took me to Smyrna Hospital. I was soaking wet. I was burnt. I was bleeding. I was in pain. And uh, they took me to Smyrna Hospital and they sort of cut my, my clothes off and and uh, my wife showed up and uh, God bless her, man. I mean, she looked like she had seen death warmed over, you know? And uh, they uh, proceeded to put me in traction. No, they took me from there to uh, Northside Hospital. And the Northside Hospital they put me in traction. They put the prongs in your head and, and uh, took me to Northside and the doctor, and the doctor kept saying, you yeah, why don't you curse? Because all I kept saying was God help me. You know what I mean? He says, why don't you say like, you know, one F word or something. Something. Besides God. Will you please? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like shock me. I was like, Doc? No, take care of me. Will you put Don't worry about me. You just take care of putting those prongs. No. So I was in Northside Hospital, emergency room. And I uh, and, uh, was there for uh, about two weeks, you know, in the emergency room. They had the interaction. And, and they let everybody come in and visit me. Everybody that I knew. I mean, I had everybody that you can think of come to the hospital to see me in that emergency room and I have some friends that were chiropractors and uh, God bless one guy was, I was sponsored his name was Joey and he would uh, he was leaning on the bar where the weights were and he didn't realize that he was putting tension on my, he was pulling my my, my neck back you know what I mean and he started to be a chiropractor and I said Joe I said Joe you need to kind of take your hand off that uh, stand you're leaning on you're pulling my neck and he's just like almost freaked out you
1: know
4: So my god, I almost got my first patient you know what I mean you know, so, and uh, all my nurses, I think they did this on purpose because I told them right away. I said, I am in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, do not jack me up. I am in the program and I plan on continuing to stay sober, okay? And I had just celebrated, and the action was on October 3rd, 1983. So all my nurses were in the program. So when I couldn't sleep, they'd come in and we talk, program, you know. Uh, There was one nurse there that just came in. She had six weeks, Uh, and she'd come in and we would talk about the fellowship, you know, and what it had done, what it had done for for my life, and where she needed, you know, and where she was going. And uh, at that point, they had moved me to Shepherd. Uh, No, they had done my surgery uh, at Northside Hospital, fused my spinal cord. Uh, So they moved me to Shepherd's spinal clinic. And then down at Shepherd, they started having AA meetings for me down here. And, they, and there was a ton of people that would show up to see me. And uh, while I was in Northside, Speedy would come and see me. And uh, Speedy came up there and see me. And I remember walking in the room. And I was sitting I was having a hard time breathing. Because, you know, when they sat me up for the first time, it almost knocked me out, man. You know, I was it was like, geez, what? It was like putting a punch in me. And uh, Speedy came in and he told me like the two war stories. You know, that uh, he was flying a plane and, he crashed this one in the, in the Guineas, and, and he was up in the trees looking around. And they told me another one about this other plane that he crashed, and and then Speedy just disappeared.
1: <laughs> just left.
4: And I went, Speedy, okay, appreciate the appreciate you sharing your story with me, Speedy. <laughs> he was just gone. He just left, you know. <laughs> Thank God bless Speedy. A, and Pat, you know, then I have my sponsor, Pat W. A lot of you know Pat. So he'd come up and God and God with this huge guy and give me a bear hug. I'm is gonna break my neck again.
1: Just grab a hold of me you know, and hug me. Oh, whatever, it's gonna be
4: all right. And I was like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. I'd have my friend Tom call Carlo. I'm gonna read the 24-hour book to you right now. Like you know, like I was going somewhere, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> like he had just a captive audience finally. You know what I mean? You know, you really need this. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I started having meetings for me and, and back at Shepherd at that point you could smoke and they didn't realize no, my eyelashes were burned off my, my hair, my eyelashes were burned off and the smoke was like pulling me in the room it was like good God you know they'd be smoking Yeah, we're staying sober and what about you Harry and he's like hey, you're killing me here you know I smoke you know Lynn B and Joe uh, Joe F a lot of you know Joe F Uh been around sober a long time. He's passed away. And uh, about that time, Joe, uh, Mike M. was in a program. And he wrote an article that went to Louis Bizarre. And Louis Guzard gar- put the article in the paper. And I started getting all these letters from people. And people coming to the hospital. And I had the news come to me. Channel 2. Channel 5. Uh, and they had heard what happened. And I had this huge influx of people supporting me and coming to me to the hospital and sending me cards and saying, just hang in there. It's going to be okay. Uh, And as as Louis Gazzardo's article was hitting across the country, out in the Midwest, sort of getting letters from these people. People that I don't even know who they are. You know what I mean? Just good people. Good people. Something that was... Because of you people. Because you people would have not have experienced something like that. Because the way I was going, I would have not known about good people. You know what I mean? Because my attitude was not that. You know what I mean? And I started getting these letters and I got these old people, old that wearing these overalls, and they old couple, they'd come to see me at the hospital. And they'd hand me a check. And they'd say they tears in their eyes and say, God just you know, just hang in there. I didn't know them from Adam. You know what I mean? And the guy would give me a hug and his wife would hug me and they'd go and I'd never see him again. You know what I mean? I mean, I, those type of people are just are, are a blessing. I, it was a, something new experience for me that I don't know if I would have had my accent. If I would have experienced that kind of love. That kind of outpouring to people. That there is a lot of good in this world. That there is a lot of good people in this world. A lot of people that are godly people. That are living a spiritual life. That are loving. Do you know what I'm saying? You know? Uh, and I'm going to tell you something. It was not easy for me. Uh, being at 28 years old and not being able to walk. It was tough. It was really tough. And I had to rely on my sponsors. And I had to rely on the, the, the 12 steps and the meetings. I went to a lot of meetings, man. Because I know if I didn't, I probably would have drank. And I didn't want to do that. You know what I mean? And I'll say this. That experience that I had in that ditch stayed with me for a long time. And I still, in my heart, still, it was like something you put, a little tag. You know what I'm saying? A little tag. Uh, and it's still with me today. And it's God. You know what I'm saying? It's a spiritual life. So there's been many changes in my life. Many changes in my life. And I have to continue to practice this program. Continue to apply these steps. Every day that I get up, the quiet, the quiet this internal dialogue that goes on. I don't know anybody else. You don't have that going on up there, do you? You know, The riot that goes on up here. The chaos. You know what I mean? That goes on up here. You know, and I have to get up. Not when I start my day, I start my coffee and I say, Lord, make me an instrument by peace. Its hatred I may so love, and I go through that prayer until my consciousness changes. It raises up. You know what I mean? Because life gang is too short. We've all been given a great gift, a great gift. and I refuse I refuse now to let those moments go, because it's too short, it's too precious. I found that out when I have my accent. Every morning I wake up and I look at my legs and I go, "My God." It's too short to be unhappy. In the big book, it says happy, joyous, and free. You know what I mean? We can be happy, joyous, and free. I live alone. And I thought, why am I unhappy? I'm in my own home. What's the deal? So I've got another choice. There's nobody there. And it took me until I little about by myself and praying and meditating and going, you know, I don't have to buy that anymore. You know what I mean? I don't have to buy that hatred anymore. And I can change. I can change with love. And I, that's what I attempt to practice every day. But it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sure saying it's a piece of cake. Because I am a nutcase. I love to be in control. You know what I mean? I love to be in control. Uh, so it takes a lot for me to stay present. And also to be able to give back. You know what I mean? To give back.
1: You know what I mean?
4: And that's what's all done. Anything? Okay. Staying sober. Carrying the message to another alcoholic. Living happy, joyous, and free. And I it. don't you know what time it is. What time is it? 15, 20 minutes? Wow. All right.
1: Okay.
4: I'll keep talking. Is that all right? Anybody want dessert? Go ahead. That's okay. Go get dessert. Come back. You know. So I try to live each day as best I possibly can and not drink and work with others. Because it's critical. You work with somebody new and they want to take you through the big, or they want to talk about the big book, it makes me go, oops, Harry, you need to get back in your big book. You know what I mean? You don't know what you're talking about here. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Even I'm sober 29 years. You know what I mean? And every time I open up that big book, and the 12 and 12 something sticks out, and I go, What did they put that in there? You know? Courtesy, kindness, justice, and love. I never read that in the 12 and 12. On page 100, when did they put that in there? You know what I mean? When did that happen? You know what I mean? Or on page 133, you know, that I am the maker of my own misery, the deliberate. And I've been really, you know, they knew what they were doing when they put that in there. Because I'm very obsessive. And when they put in there deliberate manufacture of misery, I go, what? Are you kidding me? Me? I don't do that. I want to be happy. What do you mean that I manufacture my own misery? Well yeah, yeah, well Harry you do. You know what I mean? Maybe because you you know, you cheat a little bit, or you think you can do something that's that you're not going to get in trouble with, or that maybe I could be selfish, you know what I mean? Not doing God's will. Yeah, I'm manufacturing my own misery. You know what I mean? By not doing God's will. Self propulsion. When I'm into what Harry O'Brien wants, I am making my own misery. Trust me, I'm manufacturing it and it's going to come down the pike. you know. If I didn't stay sober, bottom line is this. It's a gift. and I don't drink, one day at a time, it's a God darn miracle. And the icing on the cake is if like I can get out of myself and have a loving heart. It's a home run time, again. It's a home run time. And I can look at you and realize that we're all on the same path. Different parts of the road, we're on the same path and whoever would have thought that alcoholism this disease would have brought us to this point point? 70 years of Alcoholics Anonymous what would have happened if they never met we wouldn't be here I wouldn't be up here sharing this with you my story it wouldn't have happened this moment would not have happened Trust me. It's God-inspired. It's definitely divine. What's happened here? We're very, very fortunate. Only 70 years of, human, of mankind. 70 years. That's a. That's like throwing a little seed in time. You understand what I'm saying? And we've been blessed with such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful program. And I appreciate you. You know, I really want a piece of cake. So I think I'm gonna. I think anybody have any questions? No. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I love you. God bless you all. Thank you.
1: Thank you.